0: It's my honor to bring um, a precious friend of mine to this platform to minister tonight. I love him, his wife, his family, their church. They're true partners with us. Thank you, Lord. So I want you to help me welcome tonight Pastor Matt Scott all the way from Moody, Alabama. The Gathering Place Week 241 to the North Georgia Revival. Would you welcome him as he comes? Amen. So good to be with you. This podium is so big. I feel like I could unroll the whole scroll of Isaiah on this thing if I wanted to. Praise the Lord. Who is from Alabama? Where's Alabama folks? There they are. Are you Roll Tiders? Are you Yeah. It's unfortunate. I'm an Auburn fan, which means I live in constant disappointment. I told my church this morning, I said when I go if you're around and I die, I want the Auburn football team to lower me in the grave so that they can let me down one more time. Before I say goodbye, perseverance. Praise God. And all you Georgia people are like, woohoo, we got a football team now. We got a football team now. Yay, we're football fans now. Cool. Happy for y'all. Really am. <laughs> uh, last time we were here, my, my uh, brother in law was here. I don't know if you remember that. If you, few weeks ago and he testified about his autistic daughter who was baptized and had seen drastic improvement. Well, since then, more has happened. So I wanted to update you on that. She's severely autistic, um, functioning, but just cannot be in normal environments. It just it, it bothers her severely to be in normal environments. Uh, but recently, they've seen such improvement in her that she's transitioned out of special ed and she's in normal classes with her peers throughout the day. So we're just celebrating. Uh, She still has certain things that she struggles with, but she starts off in her homeroom special ed class and then goes to normal classes throughout the day with her peers. So continue to contend for I mean I'm just believing that this house, we've been given a prophetic word at our house, um, that we will see significant breakthrough in the area of autism. And uh and I'm believing that for this house too, because we are connected. And um I, I believe, I believe that not only are those children already unique and special and have God given um God-given abilities that just we can't even fathom, but there, there is something trying to hold them back. And I believe it is very spiritual. I believe it is very demonic. And I believe that we're gonna see incredible breakthrough in that area in the season ahead. So we're gonna continue to contend in that area. Also, when I was here, um, I received, this doesn't happen often, and I asked Pastor Todd for permission to release this, but every, probably only two or three times, have I received what I consider to be a prophetic word? Uh, I let Jeremiah and folks like that do those things. Uh, But every once in a while the Lord will give me a prophetic word, what I believe to be for the house. I believe this one is specific for this house, but it is also specific for the body of Christ in this season. And so I do wanna share it before I get into what I plan to talk about. When I was worshiping the last time I was here, I heard the Lord very clearly say to me, tell Todd and Karen to consecrate themselves for tomorrow I will exalt them in the eyes of the nation. This is a specific quote from Joshua chapter three. And when I asked the Lord further what that meant, he said, there is no secret sin There is nothing as far as consecrating in the form of getting rid of sin, but there is a new level of purity and a new level of holiness that I'm about to bring them into. It's a promotion in the kingdom, which promotion in the kingdom doesn't mean that you go higher in the eyes of men, it actually means that you go lower. And so there's gonna be, I believe, a crossing over season for this house, for these leaders, that will require a couple of things. I think it's gonna require an acceleration and an increase in the area of intercession. The Lord said specifically, it's intercession that got you here and it's intercession that'll take you to the next level. And so I believe specifically that the request to come and pray is not just to have bodies in the room so that we can say we had a corporate prayer meeting. There's actually things taking place in the spirit realm that is unlocking doors and taking you to new levels in the spirit realm that are extremely important. So I think that the, I think that the call to more fervent intercession, both personally and corporately, is going to be a necessity to go into this new season. But I also believe that it is a pastoral prophetic word that is being given right now. And this may seem kind of harsh, but I I think that everyone will understand. When, When Joshua was taking the people of Israel into the promised land, they paused in a city in the Acadia Grove. And they allowed essentially everyone to make the decision whether or not they were gonna continue on or stay in the, the actually the, the word, the Hebrew word for that place, shittim, is safe place. So the promised land has an abundance of everything that God wants you to experience, but there's also a cost, there's a risk that's involved in order to go into this new place. And I think that the pastoral word that the Lord is giving this house, if you are not ready to shed the weight of this world to leave behind your sins in order to go to this promised place with this house, then you might want to go seek a safe place. Another church. Now, I know that he's not telling me to tell you to go somewhere else, but it's actually a pastoral word of the Lord that if you're not ready to repent, if you're not ready to go all in with Jesus, then you probably don't wanna go where this house is going. Because it might cost you. There's a spiritual weight, there's a spiritual heaviness in a good way that God has given this house. I always feel his manifest presence in a different way every time I come here, but every time I come here, it is heavier and it is thicker. So this leadership team, these pastors and these leaders are trying to listen to the, remember it was the Ark of the Covenant that led them. It was the presence of God. It wasn't Joshua first, it was the Ark first. They followed at a distance as the presence of the Lord led them into the new place and the new season. And I think every single person is gonna have to make a decision in this season. And I think this is across the board, not just this house. Every Christian is going to make, have to make the decision, am I in this or am I not? So I bless this word. I believe with all of my heart that the Lord himself has been stewarded well in this place. He's seen what you've done in hiding. He's seen what you've done in the obscure place. He's seen what you've done with every single invitation, no matter the size of the church you have gone, no matter the size of the Caneo classroom, you have said yes, you have funded, you have done everything that you can to bring not only this house, but new houses into a new season. And I believe that the promotion that is about to come is gonna come with a lot of weight, but it's also gonna come with a lot of reward. And I believe that it's gonna be a blessed season for Christ Fellowship, for the North Georgia Revival, for Keneo Ministries. I believe with all that's within me that anyone who decides to go, to leave behind the weight of this world and the sins of your past will be glad that you made that decision. Not one person that went into the Promised Land was like, this was a bad idea. I wish I would've stayed in the Acadia Grove. Every single person was so glad that they trusted the Lord and they went into the new place. So I'm going to say a prayer over that word and then we'll get into um, the scriptures tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for giving this house a vision. It started with a vision of water on fire. It came to a burnt out, tired pastor who in that moment said, yes, whatever is required of me in order to see that water consume people with the Holy Ghost, to see people consumed with healing and deliverance, I'm willing. There was a predetermined yes in his heart, in Karen's heart, in the staff ministry's heart, in the leadership's heart, and because of that predetermined yes, everything that we see has come. We thank you for the miracles. We thank you for the healing. We thank you for the salvation. We thank you for the missionaries deployed. We thank you for the pastors called into ministry. We thank you for the fires of revival on water all across this nation and beyond. And we believe that it's just the beginning. We thank you for this new season. We thank you for this transitional season. And we thank you for all who will faithfully go. Not only following the Lord, but following those whom the Lord has given the mantle of leadership. We bless this house. We bless these waters. May these waters of fire extend all over the world, not so we can become famous, so that Jesus Christ can become famous in every nation for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's get rolling. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. Got a message tonight entitled, Out of the Cave. Out of the Cave. First Kings chapter 19, probably most of you if you have any Bible knowledge whatsoever, especially if you grew up in vacation Bible school, y'all remember that? Come on VBS kids. I went to seven VBSs a summer. I don't think it's because my mom wanted me to be holy. I think it's because you want to be out of the house. I went to the Church of Christ VBS, to the Presbyterian VBS, the Catholic VBS. That was well-rounded. But we talked about this passage in VBS. Maybe you've talked about this passage at your church. Pretty pretty popular passage of Scripture. Let me give you some context, though, because that's kind of important. Up to this point, we've got a king... Who comes into power over Israel, who the scriptures said did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any who went before him. That's a tremendous statement because there were some real losers who went before him. There were some folks that were pretty evil before him. This this one, though, says that he considered his listen to why he was considered to be such a bad leader. He considered his sins trivial. Like when he sinned, he didn't think anything of it. He did not allow the conviction of the Lord to lead him to repentance. Instead, he thought it was okay just to live in sin. And because of that, not only did he personally sin, but he married himself, he wed himself to the false god, Baal. His wife, Jezebel, if I say Jez, His wife Jezebel not only promoted Baalistic worship, but she herself led it for the kingdom. So this this was a very bad time in the land of Israel. This was a very bad season for the people of God. Evil had overcome. Evil had overrun. It looked like things were in a pretty hopeless condition. But I want you to know that whenever, especially in the Old Testament, we see this. Whenever evil would rise up, God would appoint a prophetic voice to confront it. And so evil rises and then God appoints a prophetic voice to come in and say, not on my watch. And that prophetic voice in this season was a man named Elijah. Now, Elijah comes to Ahab, who is the wicked king, and says, this is what the word of the Lord says. You're so wicked. You're so evil. You've done so much wrong. God is about to punish you. And this is what it's going to look like. Until I say when, it's not going to rain. So the rain is going to stop. Now, You you might be wondering, why rain? Why would he pick this? Why not other plagues? Because we've seen other things, especially in the Old Testament. Why rain? Rain was specifically chosen because it was believed that Baal was the God who offered rain. So whenever it would rain, they would thank Baal. Whenever it wouldn't rain, they would pray to Baal. This was God's way of saying, we're about to show you once and for all who really is God and who really isn't. So Elijah said, you think Baal's something else? I'm about to tell you that what he provides for you or what you think he provides for you is about to cease. And he walks out. So by proclaiming that God would stop the rain, Elijah cut to the heart of Baalism and challenge this so-called false god. Three years later, look at your neighbor and say "Three three years. Three years later, still not a drop of water from the sky. The Lord says, okay, enough is enough. He tells Elijah, go to Ahab and tell him to call upon an assembly of the people of all of Israel and the prophets of Baal to assemble on Mount Carmel, and we're about to have a final throwdown. We're going to create a couple of altars. We're going to build a couple of altars. We're going to put sacrifices on those altars. And we're going to pray for God and Baal to send fire. Whoever sends fire, let it be known to everyone in Israel that this God is the one true God. So in assembly, Ahab agrees. I don't know why, but Ahab agrees. They all assemble on Mount Carmel. Once assembled... Elijah invited the prophets of Baal to go first. So they begin to pray and they begin to shout and they begin to go through their ritualistic religious things. No sign from heaven. Elijah begins to taunt them. Maybe he's deaf. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's on a restroom break. Maybe you should shout louder. They began to shout. They began to cut themselves. They did everything that they knew to do in order to pull on heaven and to pull on the false god Baal. But nothing happened. Elijah said, enough is enough. Now it's my turn. He put the sacrifice on the altar, and then he asked for something very interesting. He asked for water, and he saturates the altar and the sacrifice three times with copious amounts of water. Now, I once thought that that was just him showing off so that when fire did fall, it would consume a wet altar, and that's even more impressive. But that's not what he was doing. What was the most precious commodity in the midst of a three-year drought? The sacrifice wasn't the bull, the sacrifice was the water. There were lots of bulls. There wasn't a lot of water. Can you imagine the gasping that took place as Elijah emptied barrels of the most precious commodity upon the altar. Can you imagine what people were thinking? What is this lunatic doing? People are literally dying because they have no water and he's wasting it on the altar to his God. Nothing is ever wasted when put on an altar to God. This was Elijah's way of saying, I'm gonna give him the most precious thing that I can possibly find because here's a very important spiritual truth. Fire always falls on sacrifice. Wherever you see fire falling, someone has sacrificed something. You happen to be the recipients of a fire falling ministry But I'm here to tell you, it did not come short of much sacrifice. It did not come short of much blood, sweat, tears, ridiculing, lies, spiritual attacks, sleepless nights, media articles saying that they're all lunatics, people slandering them, people accusing them. People falsely accusing them on social media platforms. This did not come without a sacrifice. So whenever you see fire falling, you better thank God for somebody's sacrifice. Obviously, Jesus sacrificed, but a human somewhere made a sacrifice so that fire could fall. So he makes a sacrifice, and he simply says, Lord... I ask that you do this, not for my sake, but for the sake of all of these people so that they may know who you truly are. And at that prayer, we know the story. Fire falls from heaven, consumes the altar, consumes the sacrifice, laps up all of the water. And at that point, all of the prophets of Baal giddy up. Off they run. They know they're in trouble. They know they've made a horrible mistake by giving them lives unto a false god. I'm telling you, there's coming a time very soon when all of those who have given their life over to the devil are going to wish they wouldn't have done that. I'm not here to bring hell, fire, and brimstone, but if you're currently living in a life of sin, you are under an umbrella of grace until the return of Christ. Repent now while you have a chance. Don't be run down and chased by the Lord. In a bad way, he's running after you right now trying to get your attention, trying to get you to make a good decision. I guarantee you if we could have called any of the prophets of Baal and said, hey, you want to change your mind? They all would have said yes before it cost them their life. Satan will not take it easy on you. So all of these prophets of Baal are chased down. All of the people begin to worship God. This is one of the spiritual highs of Elijah's life, if not the most spiritual, the highest point of his life, of his ministry. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be used by God to literally call down consuming fire from heaven? Can you imagine what he must have felt like? I mean, I've had some spiritual highs. I've had some moments where the Lord used me in supernatural ways, and it's almost like you're, oh, you're just, give me another, come on. You know, you feel like, you know, I can baptize people for 73 hours. Pastor Marty, I know you felt this way. Don't even go to the bathroom. It's supernatural. I don't know how you do it. But there's these moments, on mission trips, and God begins to move. And you're like, man, if God is for me, then who can be against me? There's these moments where you feel so close to the Lord that it just just blows your mind. You're on this spiritual high, and I imagine he's on this spiritual high. He just saw God move. He's, He's so pumped up that he runs ahead of Ahab's chariot, runs faster than horses. What in the world? Tucks up his cloak, and off he goes running ahead of the chariot. I mean, this guy's jacked on the Spirit of God. It can't get any better. So this is not like it was a, a, a dry season in his spiritual life. This is not like he's on, a, he's, he's on the downward slope. This is not like he's been through a season of quietness. This is, this is not like he's backslidden. He's at the highest point in his ministry career. And then all of a sudden... We pick up in chapter 19, and it seems like something dramatically shifts. I don't know what in the world would have caused this shift, but I think the Word of God is about to give us some insight, and the reason I want to bring this message tonight before we get into the text is this. I believe with all of my heart that fire is going to fall on many of you tonight. Fire is going to fall in the water. Fire is going to fall on you in the prayer ministry line. Fire from heaven is going to fall on you. And you need to be prepared as what to do after the fire falls. Anybody can be holy in this room. But what are you going to do after the fire falls? I think we can learn a lot from Elijah tonight. Verse 1 of chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. (laughs) He went home and cried to his wife. They killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that, Of one of them in other words may the gods deal with me severely if you're not dead like them tomorrow at this point threaten his life verse 3 Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah he left a servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness he came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He says, I have had enough, Lord. You ever said that? I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than that of my ancestors. And then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. After that, an angel of the Lord Touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread, baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank it and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much. He got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So from a mountain-high experience to a cave. Top of the mountain, in front of everyone to see, and now he's hiding in a cave. Hiding in a cave. Here's something that we have to understand. Whenever fire falls from heaven, whenever revival begins, There will always be a violent opposition to the advancement of God's kingdom. For me to teach you otherwise, for me to teach you that every day is going to get easier and easier and easier after you encounter God in the water, after you see the Lord's might, for me to tell you that it's only going to get easier is to go against everything that I personally see in Scripture. Everyone who encounters the Lord, everyone who is used by God to see fire fall is violently opposed by the spiritual realm of darkness. Consistently throughout Scripture, whenever God's power and love and grace and miracles begin to spread, there will be spirits deployed to stop the spreading. The devil doesn't mind you coming to church. He doesn't mind you praying in your closet. He doesn't mind you coming to prayer meetings. He doesn't mind you coming to a revival service. But the moment you start to experience fire and start to be used by God for fire to fall on others, you'll be opposed. He's not scared of church. (laughs) We've been doing church For 2,000 years, he's obviously not concerned about church. But for the person that gets really hungry, for the person that goes after the Lord, for the person that says enough is enough, I want you, Jesus, for the person that positions themselves to be an altar of sacrifice and fire falls on that individual, you better know, alarms in hell are going to go off. And they're going to say, who's that one? Where'd they come from? Dawsonville, Georgia. Where? Who are they? They have an Elijah anointing. John the Baptist walked in an anointing of the the spirit of Elijah. This end time church is supposed to walk in the anointing of the spirit of John the Baptist and Elijah. We're supposed to be a church where fire falls consistently. This is to be the marker of the end time church. Just follow the fire and you'll find a church. The enemy has found that he can't stop God. He doesn't even try to stop God. But fortunately for the enemy, he can sometimes stop God's people. And God in his sovereign will has chosen to do all things through his people. So the enemy thinks he's found a loophole. He thinks he's found a stopping point. He thinks he's found a way to pause moves of God. And just to be honest, he's been quite successful. Just read revival history. Fire begins, fire falls, fire tarries, fire stops. And then we got to get ramped back up again. Fire's got to spring up somewhere else. It's in this area, then it's in this area, then it's in this area. What's going on? You can't tell me that it's not God's desire that fire ignite and fire spread until it consumes the entire globe. That's what he wants. But the devil has figured out how to put fires out, personally and corporately. How to put people in caves. So the message that I want you to hear loud and clear is this, God put fire on me and tell me strategically how to stay out of the cave. I don't even want to go in it, do you? So how can we be a people that either come out of the cave? If you're in a cave, no shame, no condemnation. I think this is a great coming out season for the body of Christ. Coming out of the cave. I guess I have to specify that. They will. They'll cut that out of Facebook. They'll make, you know, Pastor Matt Scott, the church is coming out of the closet. Dawsonville, Georgia. <laughs> Got to specify everything these days. So, how can we do that? All right, so I asked the Lord for some strategy on this. It's like, okay, how can we not be put into retirement like Elijah? Because if you'll notice in verses 9, through, I'm not gonna read it, but in verses nine through 18, the Lord comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing in this cave? Are you in that cave? Yes. What are you doing in the cave? And this is what Elijah says. He says, essentially, he says, I've been working hard for you. I'm all alone and I'm going to die. And the Lord's like, are you sure about that? You sure about all three of those? Doesn't look like you're working very hard. You're sleeping in a cave. Are you sure you're all alone? Because later we'd find out there were a whole lot more people that were right there for him. And are you sure you're going to die? Because if you, I don't know if you recall yesterday, but you said this short little prayer, and I consumed an altar and slaughtered 4,000 prof, poor 400 prophets. I'm going to give you one more opportunity. So he takes him out of the cave. He leads him out. Remember this part? Great earthquake, a lot of wind, a lot of fire, a lot of fire. But God wasn't in the fire this time. God doesn't always come the same way every time. He just experienced God in the fire, but God wasn't in the fire. Where was God? In the still small voice. Which if anyone should know that that's God, it's a prophet. Still small voice. And then he asked him again, why are you in this cave? And he gives the exact same response. Didn't change his answer. I've been working hard for you. I'm all alone. I'm going to die. And in that moment, listen to me, Elijah chose early retirement. God would then appoint three individuals to do what Elijah should have done. So he said, all right, anoint this one, anoint this one, and anoint this one. He didn't chastise him. He didn't hate on him. He said, fine, you want to retire? Retire. But my will will be done. So if you want to go into the cave, the Lord will let you. He'll let you choose early retirement. But I don't know about you, in these last days, I don't want to be in a cave. I want to be on the mountain." I want to see, I want to have, I want to fair catch the fire when it falls. We have pastors all over the nation quitting. Leaders quitting, Christians giving up quitting. It's been a stressful couple of years, right? So who's this message for? I think it's for Christians who are either in the cave and are ready to come out. I think it's for Christians who don't want to go in the cave. I think it's for pastors who are thinking about quitting. I think it's for the body of Christ at large so that we can see exactly how the enemy operates and we can overcome by the power. Greater is he who is within us than any spirit that will be deployed in your direction. All right, so what are the most common ways that the enemy puts us in a cage? This is where it gets strategic. I asked the Lord for some strategy on this because I could just say, hey, let's not go in the cave. Do you want to go in the cave? No. Do you want to stay out of the cave? Yes, let's not go in the cave. Get in the water. Very vague. So I asked the Lord for some strategy. How does the enemy most commonly put people in early retirement. And he gave me three things. I'm gonna give them to you then I unpack it. First, intimidation. Second, compromise. Third, prosperity. That was an interesting one. We'll get to that in a minute. Tactic one, intimidation. This worked on Elijah. How does it work? To discourage, make afraid, to use threats, to coerce into submission. Intimidation causes timidity. Remember 2 Timothy, Paul's instruction to Timothy. Fan into flame the gift of God. Your gift of God has gone dormant from the laying on of hands. I laid hands on you, you received the gift of God, you were using that gift, and it's gone dormant. This is what he's telling him. Verse 7, for the spirit God gave you does not make you timid, but gives you power, love, and self-discipline. Timothy's gift was dormant due to timidity. Someone had threatened him. Someone had told him, You're not old enough to be our leader. This is not your role. This is not your responsibility. You need to get back down off of that fight. You, you have no business being our leader. And Timothy listened to that accusation, to that intimidation. And guess what happened? His fire stopped burning. Now, Paul said, luckily for you, it's not completely out. You can fan that bad boy into flame and get it moving again. How many of you want to get your fire hot again? All right, so, so this is it. You have to refuse to allow the enemy to intimidate you. All Jezebel had to do is say, I'm going to kill you. And off he ran. She immediately responded to the fire by saying, I'm going to kill you. The goal of intimidation is to make us give up our authority, therefore therefore rendering our gifts inoperative, we are then reduced to operating in our own limited strength and ability. That's what Satan wants. He wants you intimidated so that you won't use your spiritual gifts, your spiritual fire, if you will. He just wants you operating in the normal, in the flesh, with the mind. That's all he wants you to do. And there are so many churches whose fires either have never been lit or have gone out because a voice got in their head and said, you better not do this spiritual gift stuff. You better not do this Holy Spirit stuff. If you do this, they'll take your money Your money will leave. You better not do this Holy Spirit stuff. You better not do this baptism stuff. You won't have any money. You won't have any people. It's too deep. America's not ready for this. Intimidation, and they back off of revival. I've had personal friends who have seen miracles in the water, but have taken their foot off the accelerator because somebody got in their ear. Do you know that Jezebel will get into your leadership team? Jezebel will get into your staff. Jezebel will will cuddle up next to you and will sound like discernment and wisdom, but it's nothing but intimidation. Do you know that Jezebel will use you? Jezebel is not just female. I've seen more male Jezebels than I've seen females. Get up close to you," said. "Hey, I don't. You know, I know the Lord's leading us, but I think we need to take our foot off the accelerator. I think that this is wisdom for the Lord. I've had a dream. You better think twice before you give suggestions, O oh prophet. Do you know Jezebel was called a false prophet? They worshipped her as a prophet. This is why the scriptures say you cannot tolerate the Jezebel spirit. No toleration. Zero toleration. The reason that our churches are impotent and fireless is because we tolerate Jezebel. 2020. Fear and intimidation. Was it not? Who told you to put that mask on? Who told you to not lay hands on people? Did God say that? Did anybody get a vision from the Lord? Says, all right, in this season, we're going to play it safe. I know the lepers thing, you know, that was just for them. That's not for now. All right, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to mask up. We're going to glove up. We're going to social distance. We're going to shut the houses of God down. It's just not safe. It's not a safe season for my people. Who told you that? Who told you to take all of those precautions? Some, listen, some of your kids have PTSD because they've had nasal swabs so many times. You see a Q-tip and they run out of the house. They got calluses up in their nose because every time they cough or sneeze, we're getting them jabbed up the nose to see if they got the vid. It's not my church, I can say these things. dead serious though y'all it's nothing but fear and intimidation I know people died I had a very good friend die it was a real thing but it was a weapon formed against the church to get us all in a cave I mean if you can't see that you're just completely blind to the fact that there was an there was an enemy who formed a weapon he listen you know why he sensed revival was coming because of the intercession awakening he saw all these people praying, and he's like, I know because of human history what happens when people pray. I'm gonna get out ahead of this and shut it down. We didn't even get to see the revival that was coming because intimidation put us all in a cave. Okay, there's grace there, but just know that round two's coming eventually. Monkeypox, whatever the next thing is, it's coming. Let's just learn from the first go-round. Hey, you got me in the cave the first time, not the second time. I'm staying out of the cave. I'm not putting on a hazmat suit to come to church. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to lay hands on the sick. I'm going to keep going. Get me once, shame on you. Get me twice. No, thank you. No. All right, so 2020, fear. Fear. 2021, intimidation. I mean, we got all the racial things going on. We got all sorts of stuff going on. Government telling churches what they can say and not can't say. I mean, there's just all of this intimidation going on. Get in your cage. Shut up. Don't touch anybody. Shut your mouth. Tactic two, if she can't intimidate you, She's gonna try to get you to compromise, okay? Because it's not just fear that'll put you in a cave. Shame, guilt, and embarrassment will put you in a cave. After you fall to sin, it's very likely that you fall victim to the spirit of shame, guilt, and embarrassment. And what that does is it puts you in the cave You put yourself in the cave because you don't feel worthy to come to the Lord. You don't feel worthy to come to church. You don't feel worthy to be around other Christians. I mean, who has fallen really hard on a Saturday night and woke up first thing Sunday morning and goes, whew, I feel like going to church. (laughs) I know I was sexually immoral last night and I still got liquor on my breath, but first row. (laughs) I'm going to be there. I mean, I hope that that happens. I think it's the best place you can be after you fall hard. But most people don't. Shame and guilt says, church? Oh, gosh, no. You've embarrassed yourself. The Lord doesn't want to see you right now. You need to work yourself back into good graces. Oh, church is the last place you need to be. You need to sit at home and think about what you've done. Here, get on Facebook, that'll make it better. Get on Facebook, watch Netflix. Let's watch Zombies for seven hours. That'll make it better. Let's watch Yellowstone. Let's be entertained by the F-bomb and a bunch of Western guys sleeping around with anybody they want to. Let's watch The Bachelor. Uh oh! Now we're getting a little close. Some of some of you are like, "You've been looking at my Netflix account." Be careful what you're entertained by. You might just be being entertained by what Jesus had to die for. So shame and guilt, because this is what Jezebel knows. You can't intimidate a warrior. There's some people that you can put in a cave through intimidation, but there's some people like David. You can't intimidate that dude. He's killed bears, he's killed lions, he's killed giants. So what did Jez do when fire fell on him? Compromise. If I can't scare him in the cave, I will shame him into the cave. So he goes out on his roof one day when he should have been fighting a battle And listen, he knew what time of day to go out on the roof. Don't tell me that it was just like, oh, I shouldn't have seen that. No, you know exactly where to go in your social media to see the things that you don't want to see. You know exactly what pages to scan in order to see the things that, oh, that was an accident. David was very familiar with what happened on the roofs at that time of day, and he knew exactly which direction to look, which leads me to believe that he had been thinking about it for a while. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, today is the day that I will slowly descend into adultery, and, um, and then eventually lying to the Lord and homicide. Today's going to be the day where I start that journey. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, yes, today is the day that I'm going to begin the descent of the ruin of my career. It's a slow fade. And Jez knows exactly what to do in order to get you to take the bait. Look at that. Yep, what does that taste like? All right, there's more where that came from. Go to this page. A little bit more. A little bit more. How does that taste? Okay, well, here's another. You gotta pay for this one. You willing to pay for it? This one is a monthly account. Oh, don't use that card. Joint account. <laughs> use your personal account. Don't want anybody see that. Let me take a taste of that. Well, you know what you're looking at right here? You can also find that at the gym in person. She's been checking you out. You're not getting that at home. Taste a little bit of this. Taste a little bit more. And then you compromise. And then you've lost the ministry. You've lost the marriage. You've lost the kids. You've lost it all. And then you're filled with shame and guilt. Even though people reach out, we're here for you. We want to help you. No, I deserve this cave. This is exactly what David felt like. I deserve this. He wept and he wept and he wept. He pleaded for the Lord. He was never the same king after that. Read about it. He lost his family. He lost control of the kingdom. I've seen it many times. But I'm here to tell you that if you fall in victim to that, there is hope for you. Tactic three. This one's unique. All right, so she can't scare you into the cave. She can't get you to compromise because you saw that coming. What is she, what's her next tactic? Prosperity. Do you know that God's not the only one that can give you money? If she can't scare you, she can't tempt you, she'll probably throw money at you. She's wise. She knows that you want anything sinful, knows that you can't be scared, so she has to change your appetite. Your hunger for God has to slowly transition into a hunger for the things of the world. We see this throughout Israel's history, by the way. Hungry for the Lord, experienced renewal and revival, and then they started, they started because of their posture, they were blessed and then they fell in love with the gift more than the giver. Slow dripping money in front of you in the same way that slow drips sin, gives you a taste, gives you a raise. In the same way that Holy Spirit can talk to your boss and convince to give you a raise, so can evil spirits. So, Listen, this is why we must pray about all things. Just because a raise has been offered or a better perceived job has been offered doesn't mean that it comes from God. It could be coming straight from the pit of hell. Well, well, the devil wouldn't bless me with, oh, yes, he would. If he can get you in that cave, he'll do anything anything that he possibly can. Well, I've been praying for that raise. Yeah, but God didn't want to give it to you because you don't even tithe. (laughs) You think God's going to say, oh, look at that one. Man, great steward of resources. Yeah. Over their head in debt. Ain't tied since they've been alive. Let's give them a raise. That's a bad father. That raise wouldn't be a blessing. It'd be a curse. You haven't stewarded well the money that you had. Why would he give you more? Most of the time, God's not withholding. You're the one that's keeping God from blessing you. It's not my church. I can say things like this. But it is true. So she'll give you money. Taste that. You're hungry for the Lord? Well, you got to work on revival night now. You just got to raise. With that comes, on-call weekends. Can't be on the intercession team anymore. Well, it's just a season. Just a season in a man. We're going to get ahead. Then I'm going to cut back on the hours. It's just a season. But during that season, you're getting a taste of income. You're overextending yourself again. During that season, you figured out that your 17-year-old car ain't cutting it. Still running, but it's time to upgrade. And, And the whole time, Jez is saying, yeah, taste that. Taste this. You can get... Even more if you work six days a week. You can get even more if you work seven days a week. Oh, it's going to require you to travel. But my kids are young. Oh, you'll get to see them. It won't be every weekend. And every step along the way, you receive the money. Thank you, Lord. Guy's like, I didn't give that to you. Oh, thank you, Lord. We've been praying for that. We've been believing We've been believing, I've been fasting and praying for this. It's real. Everybody okay? (laughs) All right, good news. Look at your neighbor and say, he's got good news. I do. I've got good news. The good news is there's an antidote to all three of these and I can give it to you in five minutes. You ready? All right, antidote one. How do we be people that aren't intimidated? So simple. You ready? Die. Just go ahead and die. Not physically but be willing to die physically. Die to self-preservation. The gospel is not a gospel of self-preservation. The gospel is not a gospel of Lord, I will follow you until there's a pandemic or until my life is challenged or until I'm threatened. If you will go ahead and make the decision that I am in this to the very end, even if my life is required of me, then guess what? Now intimidation doesn't have a foothold because you can't kill a dead man. If you've already made the decision, I'm dead. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm in this to win it even if my life is required of me. If COVID takes me, monkey pox, some terrorist in another nation, I get beheaded. So be it. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. This is why Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must take up your cross and follow me. This was not during a time when crosses were Christian swag. Nobody had a cross tattoo during that time. Nobody had a cross coffee mug. There were not crosses on the wall that would have been morbid. That would have been like having electric chairs as decorations in your home. So when he said, take up your cross and follow me, nobody went and got a tattoo. He was saying, you must be willing to die if you want to follow me. Are you in? What was he doing? He was posturing them to not fall victim to the spirit of intimidation. So if you'll go ahead and make the decision that my life is not mine, it belongs to Christ, my wife's life is not mine, it belongs to Christ, my kid's life is not mine, they belong to Christ, I'm not saying live recklessly, but I am saying you cannot live in fear. The moment that you go to self-preservation mode is the moment that you find yourself in a cave. Antidote two, this one Very interesting. How do we fall victim to temptation? It's simple. It's not a lack of self control. I know that all of you thought the antidote to not falling victim to temptation is more self control. No, it's not. It's not self control that keeps me faithful to my wife, it's not. It's love. You don't have a sin problem, you have a love problem. You don't have a sin problem. I told that to a guy one time in a counseling session. He goes, no, I do, look at these pictures on my phone. I said, I don't know, no, no, no. He goes, no, I've got a sin problem. I said, no, you don't, no, you don't. You have a love problem. You have not yet tasted of his goodness You have not yet tasted of his love. You have not yet been made aware of how deeply he loves you. You have not looked into his eyes. I've been tempted many times. I've been approached always while out of town. I'm almost scared to go to restaurants, honestly. And it's not because I'm a hunk. It's because there's a devil who wants to take me out. So don't think, that, oh, you know, here comes Fabio. No, it ain't that at all, I promise. No, there's an enemy that wants to take us out. So what keeps me faithful in those moments when nobody would know? Love, not self-discipline. Love. Hey, Jez, you can't tip me. I'm in love. I'm in love with a man. Take that out of context too. Go ahead, cut, splice it up, send it out. I don't care. I'm in love with a man whose eyes are like fire, whose hair is like wool, whose voice is like thunder. I'm in love with that man. And I don't care what you put in front of me, you can't seduce me because I'm already in love. You don't need to go to a 12-week class. You don't need counseling. You don't need apps for your phone. You need to fall in love. All right, last one. How can we not be bribed? What keeps me from getting bribed by greed, jealousy, and materialism? It's all around us simple you know who it's hard to bribe rich people it's hard to buy off somebody who has all the money in the world right you can't throw money at rich people and expect them to do what you want them to do are they're, they're rich they have billions of dollars so what's the solution to not being bribed understand you're already rich. No, I ain't. Well, you may not be rich in that way, but according to Jesus, according to Paul, according to the scriptures, according to God, everything Christ has is yours. The wealth of the kingdom has been given to you. Do you know do you know how much money rich people would pay in order to see some of the spiritual things that are offered unto you? Do you know how much money rich people would pay in order to experience joy? Just joy. Billions of dollars. But yet you get it for free. Why? Because your daddy's a gazillionaire. He's the richest man in the universe, and everything he has is yours. So all worldly wealth is trying to get you to do is be like the prodigal son who walked away from his rich daddy. Come take some of this worldly wealth and turn your back on your billionaire daddy. Whom, according to daddy, he said, all I have is yours. So I'm sorry Jez, you can't bribe me, you can't buy me, you can't seduce me. I see pastors all the time turning their back on revival for book sales, for TV deals. Christians do the same thing. We have to understand we're already rich. And there's not a deal in the world that's worth turning your back on your father in heaven who has all the wealth in the world. Amen, everybody. Amen. You can't bribe me. I'm already rich. Stand up. Fire's going to fall tonight. You need to be ready. There's other tactics. But these are the main three. You'll posture yourself well. You'll see fire and you'll stay out of the cave. I think it's going to be a good night of ministry. You ready to get in the water? All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for scripture. We thank you for the life of Elijah. I know we looked at one of his mistakes that we can all benefit from, but he did so many incredible things. He was such a great man of faith. So we thank you for his life. We thank you for his wins. We thank you for his victories. But we thank you that you give us an opportunity to learn from moments like this. Oh, we don't wanna go in a cave. We want fire. So pour out your fire tonight in a very powerful way. Consume us, consume us with your love, consume us with your grace, consume us with healing, consume us with deliverance, consume us Lord. And help us to be alert and aware when the enemy begins to deploy spirits in our way lord there's no way in the world that we should be fearful there's no reason at all for us to be scared of our enemy but we should consider his schemes and know well how he operates so that we are able to stand firm as jesus did when tempted and I thank you for this house I thank you for the anointing I thank you for the fire that's here I know that it did not come cheaply it came at a great price and we pray in Jesus name that you increase increase the level of fire increase the anointing on this house consecrate us for tomorrow you will do great things so Jesus name we pray everybody said a good Amen.